if you will go to Galatians 5, that's where we'll be. Now, last week, I left you this little assignment, and I hope you thought about it a little bit, because um, I want us to kind of revisit a little bit today, but I left you kind of with, with an assignment of what have you had a tendency to add to the gospel? What have you had a tendency to add to the gospel that you may realize after our study or, or maybe through something else that's happened in your life, you may have realized is actually taking away from it, subtracting from it. What have you added to the gospel, maybe in your thinking about people coming into the church or coming into faith, uh, that actually has subtracted from it? Now, I want you to take, I'm gonna, I'm gonna give you about three or four minutes to talk about that at your tables right now. And I'll interrupt us a minute and we'll pray. Okay, go. Okay, all right. Did you come up with anything really, really good? Basic? My guess is, and I've looked at, okay, this is the, this is the Methodist table here. I've, I've noticed a couple of United Methodists here and some old church God folks and, and, uh, and Methodists, okay. I see some Southern Baptists in here. Uh, I see lots of recovering Nazarenes and Church of God people in here. So I, I, I yeah, there you go. So I understand this is not, uh, and Joe, you and Fred are kind of United Methodist people. So I recognize that this, there, there's no respecter of denomination here. I don't think. Okay, uh, when I grew up, uh, it was kind of, in fact, I was going to tell you this story. I, uh, back in the 80s when I was in seminary, I spent uh, a full week in some archives looking at what our denominational group uh, said about lots of things. I was doing some study on worship, and, um, and so I read through literally about, oh, 80 years of magazine articles. I just kind of flipped through them. Uh, I sat in archives for an entire week and read through a bunch of magazine articles. And mostly what I read from the 1920s on was what our particular group was against. Thousands of laws to keep me from breaking one of the 10. Why would you want to go back to that slavery, he said? Because he's going to go on to say it never worked. Verse two, he's going to say to go back is to live as if Christ accomplished nothing. He came to fulfill what the law could not. I'm just frankly now coming to a, uh, just recently coming to a, a more mature understanding of that. When Jesus said, I didn't come to abolish the law, I came to fulfill it. What he was saying there is I came to, um, in fulfilling the law, he came to accomplish what the law could not what it never accomplished. The book of Hebrews, one of, the, one of the insightful statements that sticks out to me is the Hebrews writer says, you know, the blood of bulls and goats never did take away sin. Okay, so Jesus came to set us free to fulfill what the law could not and to go back either into paganism, into a kind of a pagan lifestyle, or to go back into this legalistic lifestyle, either one of those is a path back to slavery. So, in verse three, he begins to talk about, look at verse three. 
I'm going to read it from the New American Standard. And I testify again to every man who receives circumcision, that's the issue, that he is under obligation to keep the whole law. He's saying here, there's no need to repeat an old pattern of failure. If you keep it there, you're going to have to try to keep the whole thing and to attempt to keep all the law is always, has always been, he says, a recipe for failure. And as evidence, he begins to talk about Israel's history. Okay? But in Christ... I just want to introduce this thought to you and we'll continue to kind of pursue it the rest of our time together today. In Christ, I have forgiveness from sin and a power in my life to overcome it. Wow. He basically says here in verse four, are you going to say no to grace? And he begins to talk about how high the stakes are if I say no to grace, no to living by grace. And he's going to say here that the stakes are eternally high, not just kind of high. The stakes are eternally high. So it sounds to me like this is something I've kind of got to get right. Will I say no to grace? And in verse 5, he introduces this concept and really introduces us to a person and to a life that I just cannot miss as I study the, the New Testament, both in John 14 and John 16 in Jesus' teaching and other places in Jesus' teaching and all throughout Paul's teaching. He introduces the key to making this work in your life is God's Holy Spirit. God's Holy Spirit. He's going to do a work of grace in me. Now, we want to read several passages here. I've asked Cindy to read them out loud so we can, they'll wash over your soul. What you need to know is that first reference there should be the book of Acts, not the book of Galatians. So if you would go with Cindy and with me to Acts 2.38, she's going to read that, and then we're going to read uh, Go back to Galatians 3.14, 3.2, 5.22, and 23. But I want us to start with Acts 2.38. This is right after the Spirit has come. Okay? What is the Holy Spirit's role in your life as it relates to freedom? Cindy, I'm just going to ask you to read them one after another, if you don't mind. Okay. Peter replied, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Okay. And then Galatians 3.14. Uh, okay, got to turn the page here. Okay, he redeemed us in order that the blessing given to Abraham might come to the Gentiles through Jesus Christ. So that faith, by faith, we might receive the promise of the Spirit. And then 3-2 is, I would like to learn just one thing from you. Did you receive the Spirit by observing the law or by believing what you heard? And then 5-22, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. 
Peter addresses it here. Paul addresses it in several places within this one book. But the idea is that by faith, when I receive Christ, I get a birthday present. Did you catch that? By the way, you get several. I had a little, there's a little boy in Michigan that was born two months ago this week. And when he was born, he got all kinds of presents just for being born. All right? He didn't have to do anything for that. He got, he got born and he got gifts. You did too. The overwhelming gift you were given is the gift of the Holy Spirit at work inside you immediately. Okay? By faith, he says. He says it several times. By faith, by faith, by faith. Now, what I want to submit to you, could it be that the work of the Holy Spirit in the life of you, in the life of the believer in Christ, is the main subtraction we're guilty of? Of not giving him his due, the credit for what he could do in you if you just let him. For the freedom you could live in if we would just let him. I think that's just so true here. Um, uh, the idea here is that there is a work of grace going on in me. And he, not it, the Holy Spirit, capital H, capital S, is the key to righteousness. You know that word I've never been comfortable with because... I watched my dad live it, and I never thought I could live up to it. Watched my mom live it, never thought I could live up to it. After all, those two were constantly punishing me for something stupid I did, okay? The key to righteousness is not following somebody. The key to righteousness is having somebody inside the Holy Spirit. I think we have left him out of the equation too often. And we've either lived as a result, kind of we've, in defeat, in kind of a defeatist approach, we've said, I can't do this anyway, so I'm gonna just assume, I'm gonna, I'm gonna assume that grace will take care of where I can't add up, where, where I can't um, measure up. A lot of people have chosen to take that, that approach. Maybe you have. Or, the approach that I grew up with that didn't work either is to become so legalistic about it all as to go back to that kind of slavery too. Well, um, uh, maybe some of you grew up with a book or books that just had lists of things that I could and could not do. I'm sorry, that's not a freedom life. And I don't think that's why Jesus saved us or the life that he saved us for. He saved us for something much more liberating and wonderful. Look at verse six. It's gonna be really clear here that, the, um, that there is, is a barometer, but there's only one, okay? There's a barometer here, but there's only one. Look at verse six. We're in five, six. For in Christ Jesus, Neither circumcision nor uncircumcision means anything, but faith working through what? Love. 
The only thing that means anything, here's simple theology here. Life in the spirit doesn't have to be frustrating. Jesus is to be the center of everything and the evidence of that is love. My question is, are you getting this right? Because if I get everything else right, if I dot all my I's and cross all my T's, if I get all the boxes checked correctly and I've missed out on love, I've missed the whole thing. The Holy Spirit alive inside me is the spirit of love. And I'm caught up short by how much of him is alive and free to work in me. Now, I'm going to just skim over real quickly, verse 7 through 12, and then we're going to start at verse 13. Cindy, I'm going to ask you to read that too, if you will, that next little section. But seven through, in 7 through 12, he begins to kind of deal with, I mean, he gets really kind of harsh here in asking uh, them. He, he uses the, uh, the illustration here of a runner in a race, in a multi-lane race, and he says, if you remember, remember uh, you've watched uh, races before, where someone cuts across the lane and actually trips the other runner. That's the image he uses here. And he says, who did you let cut in on you that caused you to stumble in the race? It's a really great little image. Who got to you with this? Those leaders in Jerusalem got together in Jerusalem and they began to address this issue of what is a Gentile required to do besides faith to be in. Okay, so listen to what, it, what it, one of the conclusions here comes out in Acts 15, verse 10. Okay, um, I'm, I'm gonna read just a little bit of it here. Now, therefore, why do you put God to the test by placing upon the neck of the disciples a yoke which neither our fathers nor we had been able to bear? But we believe that we are saved through the grace of the Lord Jesus in the same way as they, the Gentiles, also are. This, by the way, you gotta know what a grace-filled conclusion they reached. Okay? What is it that we gotta add to the gospel? And they said, you know, really nothing. And, and by the way, they began to kind of deal with, have we subtracted the Holy Spirit somewhere along the way? And they dealt with that as well. So we've kind of got this idea here that there's this freedom they're born into even the Gentile believers. But in verse three, he's gonna warn those folks against what I would call here, and you can put it in your blank, a self-indulgent lifestyle. For the Jews, it had been freedom from a flawed system that, he, that I addressed here uh, from, from the disciples' message in Acts 15. For the Gentile, it would be free, to be free from devotion to ungodly and really self-destructive things. Both ways, he says, you're designed or you've been saved to live a more free life. And then in verse, verse 14, well, we deal with this command that kind of we left off with in verse six before we skipped a few verses. The idea that the entire law is gonna come into focus in one supreme command. Let me read five uh, 14 to you again. Here's what it says. For the whole law is fulfilled in one word in the statement. And by the way, he's not quoting from the New Testament. It's not together yet. But he's quoting from Leviticus um, 19.18. Isn't it interesting that way back there in the law, 
It had this thing embedded, this, this ethic embedded that got it so right and they missed it so. See it? Look at it here again in verse, um, verse 14. The entire law comes into focus in one command. For the whole law is fulfilled in one word, in one statement. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Could it be any more simple than that? The entire law comes into focus in one command. What I find is interesting is that Paul says it in several places. He says it in uh, places like Acts 13.10, faith exercising itself in love. Jesus quotes Leviticus 19.18 and what you and I sometimes call the the great commandment, okay? Love the Lord your God and love your neighbors yourself. He quotes that. Um, Even James deals with it. Uh, I'm going to go to James 2.8. Here's what James says. I think it's interesting. All these guys seem to, seem to get it right. If, however, you're fulfilling the royal law according to the scripture, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Isn't it interesting that they came from all kinds of, from several different walks of life, from several backgrounds. Paul's a Roman citizen. Matthew's a, a Roman sympathizer. Peter's a fisherman. So are James and John. James is the brother of Jesus writing that right there. And all of them come to the same conclusion. Seems to me like the one barometer is L-O-V-E. As evidence of whether or not you've been changed. Of evidence of that freedom. So, he goes on then in this little section to deal with this division in the church over the law. And he tells us in verse 15 how not to use our freedom. Division is always going to occur when self-sacrificial and grace-filled love is not being lived out, plain and simple. There's always going to be division when self-sacrificial grace-filled love is not being lived out within the community. Just as simple as that. But even as I begin to deal, okay, how do I keep from going back into an old lifestyle? Or if I'm Jewish, how do I keep from going back to all these rules and laws and and thinking that's what I got to do? And verse 16, I think, gives the answer. We've already dealt with a little bit. God doesn't leave us alone in our attempt to be free. The only antidote to a self-centered life is in not an it, but a he. Walking by faith through the Spirit. Him. Him. Walking by faith in the power of the Holy Spirit. He can help me accomplish this. Now, um, uh, it's just kind of interesting to me. He doesn't leave me alone. If you read Jesus' uh, last teaching to the disciples in places like John 14 and 16, he's really wanting to get uh, the most, can you imagine on his last day or two on the earth, can you imagine how much final instruction he wants them to have? And he says to them in the middle of that, it's going to be better for you that I go away. And they immediately disagree with him. Oh, you got to be kidding. No, no, don't go. 
No, but he'll say, it's going to be better for you if I go away. He says this in John 14. He kind of reiterates it in John 16. It's better for you if I go away because if I go away, I'm going to send him to you. Could it be, folks, that like yesterday and again this morning, when Jesus reminded me of one of you, to pray for one of you, could it be that when I was tested earlier this week, could it be that when I heard the voice of God in my ear saying, okay, pal, you don't want to go that way. You want to go this way. Could it be that it was him. Oh, I know it was. I know it was. It's the part of Jesus that he left behind. And the reason he says it's going to be better for you is because Jesus could be with one of them at a time. Can I tell you? By faith in Jesus Christ, he is with every one of us all the time inside Every time I open my Bible, he helps me to come to terms with what it's trying to teach me. Every time he is there, it couldn't be more wonderful. And I'm selling not only myself short, but him short. If I can't live a life of freedom in the spirit, he can do that with me. Okay, look at the last verse. Verse 17. Here's what he says. For the flesh sets its desire against the spirit and the spirit against the flesh. For these are on opposition to one another so that you may not do the things that you please. The idea here is that life in the spirit does not have to be frustrating. They've lived their whole lives in frustration. Life in the Spirit does not, it's a, it's a non-frustrating life. And I need you to stick with me for the next five minutes because I'm going to try to unpack this. There is a battle raging for control of my life all the time. But here's the hope that this chapter gives and we're going to look at some more of it next week as we look at those fruit of the Spirit that Cindy read about just a little bit ago in verse 22 and 23. There's a battle raging within my heart all the time over who's going to be in control. And can I give you the most hopeful thing I can tell you? The Bible says he wins. I got to let him win, but he wins. If, if there's any value, well, there's lots of value to every word of scripture, but if there's an overarching value to the book of Revelation, it's that the, the, the battle over your soul is won by Jesus. It's already settled. You don't have to worry about what comes in the future. And what I want you to know is the battle for your soul today is won by him inside through the power and the work of the Holy Spirit. Okay, shameless plug. Okay, uh, Cliff Sanders, Dr. Cliff Sanders has just finished a book uh, called The Optimism of Grace. It's in this bookstore, I think. If not, I can get you one. Uh, I was doing some work through it yesterday to try to kind of come to terms with making sure that I understand 
this part of the freedom. But one of the things that he deals with in this book that I want to share with you before we go today is what does this freedom in the spirit look like? And he gives us in this idea of the optimism of the grace that works inside you, that God believes in you better than you probably believe in yourself. He's going to say there are two words that are at work. You can put them in the last blank in that last statement on your page. The spirit at work in me through the grace of Jesus Christ gives us both pardon and power. Most of us have come to terms with the issue of pardon. In other words, being saved, justified, initially freed. But what I want to come to terms with is that the Lord Jesus didn't just free me from, but he also frees me to. He didn't just free me from an old life. He freed me to or toward a new one. I think we sell his work at least half short if we say that he only pardoned me. And now I got to live in just that pardoning grace the rest of my life as I live a self-defeating or frustrating life. That's not the life he called you to. That's not the freedom he called you to. Salvation is not, this is a quote from this book. Salvation is not just what God does for us. It is also what God does in us. Can you let that sink in for a sec? If, in Paul's words, he's saying to the Jew, don't go back to the slavery of the law. And if he's saying to the Gentile the same thing, don't go back to the slavery of kind of a putrid life. Those things that were destroying you. Then he's saying here, you can live that life, that free life, because the Holy Spirit, he is inside you. He didn't just save you from sin. He has also, in that wonderful work of grace, he begins to work, do a work of grace in you. And that's an all-important distinction. Okay. Think about this for just a minute as we close. How free on a given day, as a believer in Christ, what is your freedom quotient, your freedom level? One to ten. Don't have to answer it. Don't tell your neighbor. Okay, this is between you and the Holy Spirit. What is your level of freedom? Am I feeling like this Christian life is like a really, really heavy backpack loaded, loaded with bricks that I'm carrying with me every day and the only time I'm ever going to get relief from it is when I get to heaven and it drops off my back, much like that image from Pilgrim's Progress. So what's your level of freedom? One to ten. Wouldn't you like to live a ten? <laughs> I know I would. 
By the way, can I tell you something? This study is really messing with my cranium and with my heart. My journals are full of this stuff right now. What does it mean for me? I can't answer what it means for you. Maybe you're living in glorious, peaceful freedom. Did you hear Jerry's words a while ago? The best part of the news from the doctor is, and from, is, is, is not just that news. It's knowing by faith peace. I just want to live in peace, do you? I'm never going to live in peace as long as I'm enslaved to anything. And Jesus didn't save you for slavery. Look at verse 7 again. It is for freedom that he set you free. 